the Strategic Hot Box with Dr. Brandy Love Stankovic. Discussing leadership, business, and how to take control of your life and achieve greatness. From the streets of Las Vegas, energized, informed, and never diluted. It's time to kick some ass. Hey, it's your girl, Dr. Brandy Stankovic. Welcome back to the Strategic Hotbox. And if you're watching on video, I want you to look around. We're back in the studio. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, we have a very special guest with us, Burke Bryant, founder and rescuer and humanitarian and overall badass with Harp Rescue. And we're going to get to know him here as we go. For anybody that is new to the Hotbox, then we learn, we love, and we kick ass. So we have special guests that are here that we can learn from, absorb some information. It's it's out there for you. You can take it. You can run with it. And then we also talk about love and the importance of relationships and business, the importance of, of taking care of one another and, and other human beings. And then, of course, we're going to give you ways that you can start kicking ass. Not only are we talking to kick-ass people, but we're going to give you the tips and tools that you need to kick ass. And we are new and improved, as you may know. And so you've seen some of the episodes here. Some are on the road. Some are virtual and some are in this these fancy new digs and so I'm excited to be back in the studio and to have our special guests with us hi Burke how are you good thanks for having me here Brandy thank you very much for being here and uh, you are out doing of quite a bit so you're running around you're can i say gallivanting the globe it's probably not <laughs> much of a gallivant right when you're working yeah. as hard as you are i don't know if it's a gallivant but yeah working quite a few places all over the world how many countries have you been to do you even know how many I, you've been to you know it's i don't really count i think i forget because uh, oddly enough one of my biggest fears is airplanes flying which is very <laughs> really? considering wow. i'm always on planes yeah no doubt so there's certain things i have to do in mm -hmm. order to get on the plane to feel comfortable for like a 12 to 16 you know you say flight. it's odd for how much you you fly <laughs> but from my perspective it's odd for all the crazy shit you do that that's what you're afraid of is like a commercial airplane yeah i i don't know what it is it, i've never gotten comfortable with that experience in my entire life hmm. it's probably only the only thing that i'm not comfortable with really yeah. so for anybody that's listening watching that uh hasn't seen the amazing work that you do <laughs> what is it what what's you know what's your day job Day job. Um, I could sum that up probably by saying I run an organization that specializes in what's referred to as high-risk extractions. So we travel all over the world and we pull people out of places that normally other people don't want to get them out of, whether that's a place that's consisting of war, ethnic cleansing, um, natural disaster, uh, turmoil, things like that. That's what we specialize in. And so people come to you because they need help. Yes. And to yeah. get a family member, to get a, a colleague, cohort, somebody, and they need your help in order to do that? Sometimes. Well, we're actually a nonprofit organization, a 501c3 nonprofit. So all the work that we do is volunteer work, believe it or not. So we don't make any money doing it. Um, no one really reaches out and calls us. Mm. It's it's more of like what's taking place in the world today. For instance, if there was a natural disaster that takes place in like India, mm -hmm. and we'll call it an earthquake in this case, mm -hmm. 
we'll usually kind of take a look, assess the situation, um, talk to local law enforcement, government there, state officials, mm -hmm. and then we'll make a decision as to whether we're gonna go there, which is usually within 72 hours of the the incident okay. itself. Mm -hmm. We get there and and then we kind of uh, present, you know, what we do, how we do it, and we make it happen. And one of the, the one of the things that in our conversations that we've had since we've known each other, we've talked a lot about uh, reintegration or when you go out and you do these things, not only for, um, if I can use the term victims, not only for the victims of the people that you're rescuing, but also for the people that are doing the work, whether mm -hmm. they're volunteers or people on your team, um, that coming back home can be pretty intense. What's, what's, yeah. what's that process or what is, what's the importance of that? It's, it is, it's very intense. I, I it, we should come up with a whole new word for it. Cause it, I think it's beyond intense. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people, well, let's just put it this way. When you go and do this type of work, we'll call it high risk work. Mm -hmm. You're constantly just being bombarded with oxytocin, dopamine, adrenaline mm -hmm. all day long. Mm -hmm every day while you're there. And, and that's sometimes a week, a few weeks or several months or almost a year. And then you come back home to walking your dog the next morning. Right. That, that's a really, that's a hard thing to do, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and it, reintegration is a real thing. And it's, it's tough dealing with that because there's a lot of things that go through your head without those chemicals that you're no longer getting. Uh, there's a tendency maybe to get depressed, anxiety, feel worthless, mm -hmm. for example. Um, because you go from something that's providing so much benefit for so many people. And then on top of that, you get all the, those, yeah, you know, the, intense break that stimulation uh -huh. to come home to, like I said, just walking your dog or taking the trash out the next morning. It's pretty challenging. I, I've done it enough now in my life mm -hmm. to where I have, I have my own way of dealing with it. Sure. And I'm, and being aware of it, I think is, is probably like the first step being aware that it's going to take place, that it's happening and that it'll go away. It helps quite a bit. And I, I want to hear about your way of dealing with it. Uh, but for those that are listening that maybe can't relate to to the high risk side of things, mm -hmm. I have shared with you that even sometimes being on the road. So if I'm on the road and I'm on stage and I have all these people jumping up down going, right. this is this is great. And then I come home and my kid's like could you make me a sandwich, right? I mean, like my kids do not care how cool I am or how important I am or any of that kind of thing in the work that I'm doing. And so coming home for me, even in a very small scale, and I recognize it's not relative at all, but, but for those that are listening, there's, there's reintegration that happens at all, at, at all forms. You're just giving us the, the most intense, what would be some of your ways, your coping mechanisms for that process? Well, I think, I think on my way back home, I'm usually preparing for it already mentally. Mm. Um, having a dog really helps a really, really great best friend Aww. that that's always, that's always something I go to is the comfort for my dog. Oddly enough, that's the dog I walk the next morning when I get back yeah. and, um, and taking the time to readjust to my environment instead of just diving back into something like work, you know, like a, when I say work, like computer work or something like that, I try to take a week or two and just relax, mm. um, you know, rebalance. Mm -hmm. I I'm really into meditation, believe it or not. It's. Mm. It's, it's kind of interesting, I guess, but uh, I study what's called Sharat Shabd Yoga, which is based on an inner light and sound. And, and I do a lot of meditation and um, a lot of breath work. And lately I've started doing cold plunges, which I really, really mm. enjoy, which is really hard to do. You enjoy? I, Did I hear that word enjoy? Maybe I'm just telling myself that so it's easier. <laughs> yeah, right. Just trying to trick, <laughs> trick the brain here, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I live right now in Idaho in a very remote spot 
And I tell you, it, it, recently it was negative 18 degrees over there. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a great opportunity <clears throat> to go out and do a cold plunge. Yeah. So I stepped outside with just a towel on and I felt like I already did the plunge. I walked <laughs> back in. It was very easy that day. But I've got, I've got like this basin that I'll get in. I have to kind of crack the ice oh. so I can get into the water. And uh, I've heard that it has tremendous physiological benefits to, you know, to, I don't know, circulation and different things. But yeah. how do you overcome the mental side of it? Yeah, I think you have to be mental in order yeah, to overcome yeah. the mental side of it. Fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> um, so that's interesting that you say that already on your way home, you're already thinking about it, right? Yes. So back in relating it to what I do, I always call it the come down. Like you're on an airplane, you'll leave these events and I'll get on an airplane, I'll be alone. And it's like, ugh. And it's almost this weight of of like a come down off of whatever these, you know, hormonal drug kind of things that you get from this process. And it's true, like, and it can feel um, in, it, intense. In my case, I think intense is plenty plenty of a word, but it's one of those moments of, of I've never thought in that, that moment to start working through it then. I usually am just thinking about getting over it. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of like the, the other thing that I've kind of identified with these things is that I don't work alone. I have an incredible team, mm. men and women that work alongside me mm -hmm. um, to accomplish this stuff together as a team. And, you know, having someone that you can call, it, mm. I mean, you think about it like a, a sports player is friends with a sports player, a golfer is friends with golfers, a lawyer is friends with other lawyers. It's also really good to have that support mechanism there where you can pick up the phone and talk to your buddy who's probably going through the same exact thing because yeah. he was on the plane with you doing the same exact thing over there in that country mm -hmm. and coming back so you know and aside from that build it builds camaraderie mm -hmm. and brotherhood and things like that coming out of the military i was in the military and a lot of guys that come out we have a tendency to call a lot of things ptsd nowadays mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder i don't believe it's all ptsd i i think i think there's a large large percentage of what we're referring to as P ptsd as a reintegration problem and mm -hmm. that's what's not being addressed um and like anything else right as soon as we create some type of I don't know a uh, term PTSD. Then suddenly it becomes you this. People stick to that, right? And it becomes, and then and then it has this economical value to it, to where there's this entire business industry that's created around PTSD, mm -hmm. almost to the point where it's like they continue to convince you that you have PTSD so they can get you into therapy and and keep you in victimhood and stuff like that. Well, that's my personal opinion yeah. based upon experience. But but I think it's a reintegration problem, and you know you have you have soldiers coming out of the military and they're having a hard time dealing with it and it's because they've lost their brotherhood sure they've lost their 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 daily routine that they've had for years and years and years to walking their dog the next morning so that's and you think that uh so you talked about labeling their you know mm -hmm. the label process and and it almost creating a bucket where people become victims or keeping people within that yeah. you're saying it is there something that somebody could do a new routine or is that just part of the process they just have to recognize it as a phase that they have to go through well you, you know that depends i think that's on the the mental framework of that particular individual to some degree because there's people that have victimhood mentality. We all know that. Mm -hmm. We see it every day. And then there's people that choose not to be victims of whatever the circumstance it is. I, I think the way that I look at it more is that life didn't present me with a blueprint when I got here. Mm -hmm. So anything outside of that is me creating my own expectations mm -hmm. about life. I, that to me is crazy, right? If I knew exactly what life was going to present to me every single day, I'd be bored with life. So... I have a tendency to take whatever it is 
you know, whether it's considered something negative or whether it's considered something positive and do my best to learn with it. And, and there is a silver lining in everything that happens, I assure you. And I've had some really bad things happen in my life, but I am always able to find that silver lining to everything that happens. And I think if people just kind of focused more on, on, on how unique life is and how unique every single experience is instead of, oh my gosh, I didn't want that to happen. Or so-and-so said that that shouldn't happen. Now I'm a victim. Now I need to, you know, go get help. I think if we just kind of focus more on, again, like the beauty that the world has to offer, including the experiences, mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, people would be just better off mentally and they, and they'd enjoy life much more yeah. as well have a different perspective or outlook. And I want to, I want to dig in a little bit to, uh, using family, friends, community is, is part of the coping process. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm a bit of a proponent. I've worked with different businesses where they only hire people that have been through that, right? You see it in, uh, abuse, alcoholics, anonymous, you see it in homeless shelters where the individuals that work in these organizations have been through that process, have been homeless yeah. at one point. Right. And there's a certain, uh, need for that because no one will ever understand what it's like unless you've been through it. And you just mentioned talking to somebody that's a cohort that is on the plane ride home with you as well. Mm -hmm. The other side of that, or my kind of the other side of the coin for me is, well, no wonder they have a problem in some of these businesses because they have a bunch of addicts that are working there, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you almost need the perspective of somebody that's outside to be able to see what life is like outside. Sure. Right? Yeah. So it's almost a, a balance. But again, I don't want that to be naive thinking for me. Because I, I also know when I want to call somebody that's been through whatever I've been through, it's nice when you don't have to fill all those gaps. And because sometimes people go, oh, cool, <laughs> great, that happened and not relate to the gravity of things, I guess I should say. Yeah, for sure. And I, me personally, like, let's just hypothetically pretend like I was an addict and I mm -hmm. got the, you know, the help and the therapy I needed to get out of addiction. Uh, the way my mind works is... I, I want to run back out into the world and experience this new beautiful world minus the addiction. I'm, I'm not really wanting to keep myself in it, mm. which, you know, and, and this is, I, I've never had that experience, so I can't really speak from that position. Mm -hmm. I can only make my own personal assumptions on it, but I, I would want to go out and experience the whole, the, the whole new life that I just created for myself uh, minus the addiction. So I, yeah. So the ones that are going back are, are ones that want to continue to live in it. So in relating it to what you do, is it good to have a balance of people that know what you've been through and people that don't? Or do you, how, you know, when you think about your community that can support reintegration? <laughs> well, it's hard for me because I, I think everyone knows what an addict is. Mm, right. Everyone wants to know what it is that I do. So it's hard for me to get away from those people that don't understand it. I, mm -hmm. You know, it's like I, I could be wanting to take a lot of time off and just relax and not think about work at all. But there's always that person or those people that are like, hey, so tell me about an experience. Like, what's mm -hmm. it like? What do you do? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and to be honest, it's not really that glorious. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think if people... If people experienced what I did, I, I think they'd be terrified to some degree. Sure. You know, and yeah, it's really hard to step away from work unless I isolate myself and I don't have anyone around because everybody wants to know exactly what it is that we did, you know, for that, for those weeks preceding or, or what we experienced, you know, something to that degree. Or what, get you on their podcast so you can <laughs> share, share with everybody else. Okay. So it's now a bad time to ask some cool thing. Uh, how do you think some of this reintegration though, before 
we transition there is uh, applies to civilians. So I gave an example, but how does it apply to the everyday person or how could those individuals support those they know? Yeah, I think, I think, I think one of the things that's so beneficial to people that's almost lost in today's society is listening. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to kind of uh, inject their opinion or their idea. Everybody wants to fix everybody to some degree. And I don't mean to typecast like, sure. you, you know, it, but everybody wants to fix people. I think that if people spend as much time working on themselves personally that they spend on trying to fix other people by proxy, we'd just be living in a better place because everyone would be taking care of their own needs, you know, and, and taking care of their own mental health. Mm -hmm. And again, by proxy, just everyone would be fine but instead you have a person that wants to help or change someone and then that person that they're trying to help or change wants to help and change someone else and it just goes down the chain and nobody's really getting helped because everybody's trying to fix everybody else and they mm -hmm. fail to look at themselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so starting inside yeah. is there uh, some perseverance that's built up in this i was thinking i'm gonna drive here today i remember i went through a uh um, a triathlon experience once and the swim was you swam away and then you had to swim back right <laughs> and it was a really difficult process for me and I know when I got out to the end I was like the only way this is over <laughs> is if I swim back right? <laughs> and so because of that though it built some mental perseverance it built some emotional maturity in a sense that some things will happen to me and it's hey, the only way this gets done is if you do it the only way that you you know like it it's built that within does is that a, a perseverance kind of is it almost to a fault that builds in the, in the work that you do where it's you see people having everyday problems and they aren't really problems you know I, I i don't want to take away from anyone's experience you know i i don't think that there's any problem that's greater than any other problem um i i think I think the reason why we're so effective, you know, and, and, and like in your swimming scenario is that there's a high level of integrity in what we do. There has to be a high level of integrity, you know, and my word means something to me. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And, uh, you know, this is what I practice. You know, at the end of the day, I, sp I spend my entire day sometimes with some of my team members giving motivational speeches. You know, mm -hmm. keeping them going, keeping them going, volunteers and things like that. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't have anyone above me that I can Doing call that for you. to give me a motivational speech. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I'm stuck with myself. And, you know, again, to the, the things that I've learned is that integrity is an extremely important thing because all I have is my word. And if I fail my word, then I no longer listen to myself through integrity you know it's like if i say i'm going to go play basketball at two o'clock for instance and i don't do it then i begin to listen to myself as, as if my word has no value to it mm. but if i say i'm going to go play basketball at two o'clock and even if i don't want to play basketball i go play basketball at two o'clock i feel really good about at least following through with my word mm. and that builds my integrity and and that is what motivates me at the end of every day is the fact that i believe in myself i trust myself and I know what I'm capable of, of, of doing based upon my integrity, my word. And that's kind of, that's my swim out, mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter if the wind picks up and the waves are bigger or higher than my visual sight. And I can no longer see where the shore is 
but my integrity and my word will get me back to shore, mm -hmm. whether I have to swim for the next 20 minutes or the next four hours, you know, and I will do it and do it and do it because I don't want to fail my integrity or my word. Hmm. And that responsibility you have to yourself, that's powerful. And that's a pretty amazing thing. But you bring up a really good point also of it's lonely at the top, right? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of, of bosses, CEOs, executives that are listening and watching here today thinking that it's true. When you are the boss or when you are the leader, when you are the command, there isn't people flattering you typically. And, and I use that term flatter because sometimes we do need validation or affirmation, right? But we, and we provide that for our teams as part of who I am as a leader to inspire, to motivate, to, to guide, to give feedback, constructive and positive and, and to get people going, understand them, learn about them. But there isn't necessarily somebody providing that the other direction. And so uh, creating kind of some, that internal integrity is, is a lovely way to think about uh, a, you're, you're building in a reward system essentially inside. Yeah. And you have to love yourself. You have to care about yourself on the highest level because there's no room to go home and drain yourself emotionally, you know, with some type of depression or a woe is me. Mm -hmm. There's just no room for it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I get some people do that, but there, there's also, there is an integrity in leadership, being a leader. Yeah. You know, and some people are ready for it and some people aren't. But when you weed out the people that are ready for it, you've got some amazing leaders out there. And uh, and, and again, you know, it, it varies in degree. Some people don't like their bosses. Some bosses don't like themselves. Mm -hmm. But when you find the really good leaders out there, those are the ones that you really want to stick next to. Those are the ones you really want to, to call on the phone and acquire a relationship with, learn from, listen to. So, um yeah, and that intensifies even further when you're relying on that person to help save your life or to to have your back in a life yeah. or death situation. Yeah, uh, abs absolutely. I, I'm blessed with a, a small mental issue that that also helps kind of work. So tell me about this mental. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so when I was in the military, I was I was diagnosed with high high spectrum Aspergers, mm. and. Um, I've learned how to deal with it really well, but there are certain things in the field that I do that it comes or it becomes extremely beneficial for me. Hmm. Um, we were in Ukraine, for instance, the war, and my brain did an extremely good job at counting counting rounds. Um, in, in this case, T-72 tank rounds that were coming at us. My brain just for some reason would keep track of when they had to reload and things, which allowed me or, or to, to identify a pattern a, a pattern so that we knew when to move and not to move yeah. for instance uh -huh. so th there's that side of it too well that's it's that's pretty intense uh speaking of that is there a, a crazy story that you can share with us or something wild that uh has yeah, happened sure um i guess i could do a really crazy one okay well We'll see what you think. I guess to some, it's not crazy. Mentally, inside my head at the time, I, it was it felt very crazy. Like um, we were in Ukraine in a place called Orakiv, and and we were we were watching Orakiv for probably twenty minutes from a high position, and Orakiv was just being bombarded mm -hmm. with Grad missiles, um, as well as tanks were attacking it. There was small arms fire. But we had to get into this particular city. There were supplies that we needed to deliver. There were people that needed to be pulled out of the rubble and brought back across the line into the hospitals and things like that. And I remember as my brain was counting and we, and we could see the Russian tanks from our position and we could see how they had surrounded the city. But again, the integrity and the word fell into place. 
And it's like, okay, we said we'd come and do this and we're going to do it. And we took all the precautions we needed, but, but there's so many things, right? Like, like we had to park the car under an awning. We had to find an awning to park it under. So we found a gas station that had been bombed. We parked under the awning, you know, situational awareness is huge in these, in these circumstances because you have, you have aerial reconnaissance planes oh, above okay. you mm -hmm. watching for movement below which then if they see movement they know it's what they would consider an enemy and they'll bomb you so all this comes into play so there's just all this massive amount of information that your brain is just trying to process well we knew they were reloading we got in the vehicle that we had and we sped into orakiv in order to get into orakiv we had to go across a bridge once we got across the bridge there was uh there was a large cement structure that was still standing and then there was there were these homes um it was a, it was a residence mm -hmm. and we kind of slid into our spot in the car. We jumped out as fast as possible and we began to immediately assess the situation. There were people coming out of their homes that had just been bombed, missing arms, um, blood, you know, elderly people. It's very sad to see a lot of, a lot of tears coming out of these people and for good reason. And we knew we had 12 minutes roughly before the reload was done. And then the rounds came in. And, uh, I remember we started, we started pulling, pulling all these people that were in the streets and getting them into you know mm -hmm. under an underground spot at that time and then uh we would wait and, and and pull them out of that underground thing but i kind of the rest of the team ran into this this shelter um which was this building and myself and another guy danny stayed out a little bit longer and i knew i knew the rounds were getting ready to come in but there was this woman and her husband mm -hmm. that were left in the street we had gotten everyone except them so we ran back to get them and i i've never cut something so close in my life mm -hmm. as soon as we grabbed them the rounds started coming in and the place was just getting bombed it sounds like a movie to be honest like this is, <laughs> this is not this is not what normal people are seeing yeah, and we, and we were able to get them to this underground shelter. I have no idea how that was even possible. Because at that point, it doesn't even matter whether the bomb lands on you, which a yeah. lot of people think. It's the shrapnel yeah. flying into all directions that becomes a major problem. Yeah. And the shrapnel is the size of softballs. And sure. it's just going through cars and, and blocks and things like that, concrete blocks. So we get them in there. And then I run into the shelter where my other guys are. And it's this room, probably like 14 by 14. We've got Azov guys in there, military. And then we've got Ukrainian militaries. They're all cramming into a bathroom. And I look over at my guys. And at this point now, reconnaissance, every reconnaissance had already spotted us. So now they're just bombing for the you. building. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And this is an old Soviet-style building. It's all concrete. It goes up probably 12 stories. And they're just hitting this building as hard as they can with artillery. And I'm thinking, okay, it's coming down on us. Right. And instead of cramming into the bathroom, me and my guys just kind of, sat there and i made a pot of coffee and there was salami and cheese we cut salami and cheese and, and they all knew what was going on right. and i picked up the phone and i called my dad and i said this is it like i'm done mm. i can't make it out of this situation it's impossible the building's coming down and me and all my guys cheered our cups of coffee and we had salami and cheese and we waited for what we considered to be the inevitable and then my brain kicked in about with the rounds and counting. the rounds uh -huh. the reload and my brain told me they're reloading they're reloading and I looked at my guys and they, they looked at me and they don't really talk. They just keep very good eye focus. Pay attention. Uh -huh. And I said, it's time to go. And we all stood up. No one questioned anything except the Ukrainian sure. <laughs> military and the Azov guys. And they said, no, don't go out there. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. I, I, I trusted in my brain, right? Like mm -hmm. the integrity of, of, of my, my mental aptitude that I have for myself. We ran out, we got into the vehicle 
We sped off in the vehicle. Luckily, the tires are still... You also have to worry about shrapnel. Sure, the hitting the car. We yeah. crossed back over the bridge that got us into Orakiv. As we did, the bridge blew up and the artillery came in. And we got through there. And I remember when we got out of that area, you know, five miles out, all the news agencies were there. Al Jazeera, mm -hmm. there was CNN, MSNBC and everybody. And they all were just looking at us like, how did you guys get out of there? But that, that was kind of a situation you, that you I You started this by I saying, I, you're going to decide if this is crazy. Yes. The answer to that is yes. Yeah. Very, very, very crazy. Uh, if I can, like one word, can you uh, fill in this blank? If I could, I would blank every day. If I could, I would blank every day. I would uh, probably drink more water and eat more vegetables. <laughs> oh, I was hoping that you were going to path it like beer or something, but, but no such luck. And uh, in, a, in a word or two, the world would be a better place if? If people started focusing more on the moment that they're living in and appreciating that moment instead of worrying about the past and what they potentially see as the future. Love it. Let's head out to our shout out. Hola a todos, yo soy José Antonio y estamos aquí en, en Cuernavaca, Morelos, en México y eh, esto es para Hotbox con Brandy. Thank you to Antonio for sending us that shout out. And thank you so much. I feel like we could talk all day. Thank you so much, Burke, for being here with us. If we could leave everybody, we've said a bunch of things already with a kick-ass takeaway. Um, what would that be? One of the ones I love that you just said is about focusing inside on your own mental integrity. You talked about breathing, about uh, sometimes taking time for yourself, whether it's isolating with cold plunges or meditation, etc. What's one takeaway? Believe in yourself. And if you don't believe in yourself, sit down and figure out why you don't and, and, and begin taking the steps to believe in yourself, trusting yourself, you know, figuring out your integrity, building that, building your word. There's one thing you're never going to run away, run away from in this world. And it's you, you're stuck in this body forever <laughs> until you pass. So figure out how to choose you as your best friend, choose you as the one you love the most, establish that relationship and, and enjoy it. Love it. Thank you so much. If anybody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? They could go to harprescue.org. Um, and I guess that's the best way. From there, they can kind of take a look at what we do, what we're about. And uh, if it, there's anybody out there that wants to potentially lend a hand. Or donate to the or, cause, Or right? donate mm -hmm. would, be, would be wonderful. Yeah, send in your CV or send in a donation. And all the money that we get goes back into the field to save more lives. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all of you for listening and being a part of the Hotbox. Check us out on all the different platforms. And until I see you again, get out there and kick some ass.